Lord, we ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would want us to see from this section and help us to just apply what we learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 12 is kind of a funny story and yet tragic story as we go through it. Um, so we're going to start in Acts 12, chapter, chapter, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quatrions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the, of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth that same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and keepers before the door kept the prison. We're going to stop there. <laughs> All right, we're looking at this, and it goes, the very first part says, Now about this time Herod the king stretched forth his hands. Now, if you realize and remember, way back in Matthew 2.19, Herod, Herod the Great dies. These are Herod's sons. Herod had three sons that lived. Uh, Herod had this really bad habit of killing his sons. Whenever they got old enough to uh, be a threat to him, he would kill his kids. So as soon as they became adults and got a little... Got a little uh, ambitious and could be, hold the sword and everything, he'd have them killed. So these three, Ar Archelaus, Philip, and Antipas were the three sons that lived um, to be in his reign. Archelaus was given the reign over Judea, Samaria, and the northeastern part of, on the opposite side of Galilee. So he had basically the northern part of the kingdom. He is the one that's going to rule over the area that Jesus is going to live in uh, or grow up in. Uh, Philip, he was given kind of the eastern, northern part of Israel. He got Decalopolis, which is on the eastern side of the uh, Jordan. And Antipas got, uh, excuse me, Antipas got Galilee. He's the one that Jesus would have been under. Archelaus got Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, uh, Archippus was a very, very cruel man. He made his father look pretty tame. Uh, he got so bad that eventually um, August, uh, Caesar Augustus sent him to Gaul, which is basically France, <laughs> to be ruler. And he was so bad there that the people rebelled against him and drove him out. <laughs> uh, he was an evil man. So... These are the ones we're looking at. At this particular time, we are looking at Archibus. He's the one that rules over Jerusalem. And he decides that it would be a great idea to go after the church. And he gets, uh, I love this, he, he uh, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So he was out to harm. Uh, he was very uh, cruel. He killed James, the brother of John. This particular James is known as James the Greater. Uh, and as opposed to James the Lesser, which was James the son of Altheus, one of the disciples. And then you have James, the brother of Jesus, <laughs> who is going to become the head of the Jerusalem church next. Uh, so all kinds of Jameses. This chapter is full of people that are hard for us to understand because they use the same names and don't really clarify who is who. And which James we're talking about. Which James we're talking about. Or which Herod we're talking about because all three of his boys are called Herod. So it, it makes it very difficult, which is why you have to know what area of the country you're in to know which Herod they're talking about. And... Uh, Antipas is the one who's going to be over uh, Jerusalem. Okay, wait a minute. Antipas is over Jerusalem or Galilee? Uh, Galilee. I'm sorry, I looked at my notes wrong. And Archippus is, uh, is in charge of Jerusalem. Archelaus? A R C H E L A U S. <laughs> um, 
Sorry to confuse you. So he reaches out and says, these uh, Christians, these followers of the way, because they're, we're now, remember, they were just starting to be called Christians. And where were they first called Christians at? Antioch. All right, but right now we're in Jerusalem. So right now we're talking about followers of the way, which is what Christianity was originally called, the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So they were called followers of the way. And so Herod Archelaus is attacking the Christians. He kills James, one of the, one of the disciples. And then in verse 3, it says, he saw that it pleased the Jews. They were happy that this happened. So he decided to take Peter also. And there's this little note down there in verse 3 that says in parentheses, then were the days of unleavened bread. That is extremely important to understand what happened. If it hadn't been for the fact that it was unleavened bread or Passover, Peter would have been executed immediately. All right. But because it's the Jewish holiday and they did not do executions on Jewish holidays, he put him in prison. Otherwise, Peter would have been dead just like James immediately as soon as he was apprehended. So that little parenthesis is something that is there not just to tell you, a, you know, some you know, little piece of information, but this explains why he was put into prison rather than being directly executed because King Herod had the power just to say execute him. He didn't need to go to court. He didn't need to prove, prove his case. He could have just killed him just like he did James. But he gets put into prison. This also tells you that we're exactly a certain period of time after Jesus, but we don't know how many years. All right. We know that Peter is arrested to be executed at the same time frame that Jesus would have been. All right. Except years, years of difference. We, we know that uh, we know that we're over four years because Paul was in Arabia for three years and then he came back and then he went to Jerusalem. He's at Jerusalem right now. And we know that he had time of persecution. So we're somewhere more than four or five years after Jesus's uh, resurrection, uh, death and resurrection. And then it says in verse four, and when he was apprehended, they put him in prison and delivered him to four quatrians of soldiers to keep now, everybody knows what a quatrian is, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's four soldiers. So he's, in, he's being held by, he's being guarded by 16 soldiers total. Now, not all of them will be on duty at the same time, probably. He would have had the one that was directly responsible for him, and we're told that he was, later, at the bottom of verse 6, that he was chained with two chains. What the Romans did with a prisoner that was high, high uh, priority prisoner, they would chain their hands to their hands so that they could not get away. So his two chains, he would have one chain on his left hand to the right arm of the one soldier, his right arm attached to the left arm of the other soldier, and they were short chains. He, he did not have a lot of room to go. So he was chained to two soldiers, and two of them would have been at the main gate, and the other four would have been watching the, the hallways and the rest of the, rest of the gates. And the other eight would probably be sleeping, and when their four hours of sleep were done, they would come and relieve the guys that were on, on duty. They would go and sleep for four hours. But this is a pretty serious, I mean, he's being marked as a valuable prisoner. And you can know one thing, as we find out later on, that they were executed when they lost him. Their command was, you lose him and you're dead. And, you know, our, our uh, security uh, correction officers don't have quite that severe a punishment for losing their prisoners. Or they're probably going to be disciplined, you know, and may lose their job. Uh, but death was the Roman sentence of losing a prisoner. Uh, and so we see here... Uh, and when they had apprehended, they put him in the prison with the two quadrants of soldiers attending after. And if you have the King James Bible, it says Easter. Easter is the worst translation of that word that you could ever possibly imagine. It's used 20, that word is used 29 times in the, yeah, in the New Testament. Yeah. And in 28 times, it's translated like it's supposed to be Passover. 
That's the right word. If it says Passover, you have the right word. If it says Easter, it's the wrong word. Easter doesn't even come into existence for another 350 years after this. Well, Passover on the side. Um, when the King James was translated, it was translated when the celebration of Easter was being observed. The problem is, and you all know that I hate this word Easter, uh, because it was the celebration of the goddess Estar. And it was used by Constantine in 400 AD. Basically, when the Christian holidays were set up, he matched them to pagan holidays, which Easter is the pagan goddess Estar's celebration, and it's not Passover, which is why over the years we find that we do not celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on Passover like we should, because Jesus died as the Passover lamb and then resurrected on first fruits, which was the first Sunday after Passover. And we end up having it separated from Passover sometimes as much as by a month. All right. So the translators just said, well, you know, for some strange reason, they changed this one to Easter. They just changed, well, everything we read in here is added because it's originally in Greek or Hebrew. They just, in this case, chose to translate Passover to Easter. And I don't know why they did it. It doesn't make any sense when 28 out of the 29 times they say Passover. And this is the one and only time they, they wrote Easter. Now, Christmas, which we're celebrating, was celebrated for the... Um, vernal like equinox. <laughs> okay, the celebration of a goddess or a god of, and it was the, the celebration. And they said, okay, we're celebrating here. It's close enough to the to a win, to to all these holidays. Let's celebrate it. So the, this is why I don't get real excited when people say I don't want to celebrate Christian a, a, a Christmas as a Christian. I understand why they do it. I don't like most of the. The, the celebration and the busyness around the holiday because we forget that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. As long as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, I have no problem with it. He might have been born in spring, summer, fall. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. He was born, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. So this at least focuses our, our nations, our countries, hopefully on the birth of Jesus. And Satan is more and more trying to push that aside from our holiday. Now, Resurrection Sunday, we know when that one's supposed to be and we don't recognize it the way we're supposed to. I love it when that matches up to Passover. Doesn't happen very often. All because it's attached to the wrong holiday. All right? So, again, when you you'll hear people sometimes you'll find, you know, Christians getting all upset, you know, about the about Easter and, and Christmas. Um, and I understand where they're coming from. This one, though, I hate this. I hate this because it's the only place that says Easter in the entire Bible, and the word is translated Passover on almost every other. So I won't read Easter. I'll read Passover. Just as you notice that I did. Um, but just to help you on this one, it's something that's out there. So right after Passover, Herod Archelaus's. Archelaus's ambition was to execute Peter. Uh, and so he put him in prison, put 16 soldiers responsible for him. That's a lot of people to, to guard one, one, uh, one uh, person. And it says that in verse 5, Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing for the, in the church for, unto God for him. They were holding prayer vigils. 24-hour prayer vigil. All right, James the Greater has been killed. Peter has now been arrested. Let's pray. And they kept praying. All right. And then it says, And when Herod would have brought him forth that same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the, keep between the, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So it gives this description. But you think about this. The next day, 
He's to be taken before Herod to be killed. And Peter is sleeping. Kind of reminds us, he learned his lesson really well because when you remember the storm, when they were in the storm, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And the boat is almost sinking. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And they have to wake him up. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, we kind of think about that story, but these were, most of the guys, many of the disciples were fishermen. They knew their boat was sinking. <laughs> now, Jesus has said, we're going to the other side. So he's, he's saying, you should have had trust in me. We're getting to the other side. But by sight, these fishermen who knew boats said, we're not making it to the other side. This boat is sinking. And they went to wake up Jesus, and he chastised them. Here, Peter's learned his lesson. He's scheduled to die the next morning, and he's sound, he is sound asleep. So much sound, so sound, we're going to see the angel has trouble getting him to wake up. You know, he is totally at peace. What is the worst that's going to happen to him? He's going to lose his head and stand before Jesus. And he knows this. You know, and he's at peace. If God wants to rescue me, he's going to rescue me. If he wants me to stand before him, to end this life and, get, and stand before him. I, I love the picture. Peter has learned to be at peace. And this is important for us. When everything seems to be going wrong in our life, are we holding on to the fact that God is in control and at peace? That takes a lot of learning. It does. It takes a lot of learning to be at peace when everything seems to be falling apart around you. Now, if we deserve it, we still need to be at peace because we can't control what's going on around us that much. If there's things we can change, then yes, change them, but, but still stay at peace. If things are going wrong and you can make changes, go ahead. But also realize that God is in control. Peter is saying, I'm arrested. You guys have got me chained up. I'm just going to go to sleep. And it's kind of interesting when we see what the angel tells him. So we're going to continue here. Verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and bind your saddle, sandals, and so he did, and he said, Cast your garment upon you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true that which was done by the angel, but thought that it was a vision. And when they were past the first and second ward, they came to an iron gate that lead, led into the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And they went out and passed through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Peter is so much asleep, it says the angel smote him. Now, this isn't a real hard smack. This is that tapping that we would do with somebody. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Peter wakes up, and it says the angel showed up, and a light shined in the, in the cell. One thing you need to remember about the cells in those days, those dungeon cells, they had no lights. The hallways would have some candles or, or torches, but these cells were not nice places. They would have dirty straw that was never swept out. They might throw some new straw in there after a while. Dirty straw attack, attracted rats and other vermin. You were thrown in there usually after you were scourged, so there's blo old blood and everything. It stunk. It was bad. You, your your uh, urinal area was a hole in the floor on one corner. So, and it was dark, so you barely could see that. And the deeper you were in the dungeons, the less light you had. And we don't know, he's a very valuable prison, uh, prisoner. I do not believe he was in one of the, the nicer dungeons. He was probably put into the lowest dungeon he could have and say, we're going to make sure that you suffer before you die. And the angel comes in and light shines in the, in the room. And the guards don't wake up. Now, why they were asleep in the first place, who knows? So the question is, have they been blinded? 
Are they put supernaturally to sleep so that they cannot defend? And I will opt that they were probably supernaturally put, put under or hypnotized or whatever term you want to look, but they're not seeing what's going on. And it says that Peter, he's told, get up, and his chains fell off his wrists. Yeah. This, is, this is kind of, you know, when you think about this, this picture, all of a sudden a light just starts shining in the room, and all of a sudden he stands up and the chains just fall off. And the angel says, gird yourself and bind your sandals. This is kind of an interesting thing. He'd taken his sandals off to go to sleep. This is how much at peace he was. He was, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm going to get dressed for, I'm, you know, I'm going to get ready for sleep. And it says, gird yourself, pull up, your, pull up the, the garment so that you're able to walk. Get your sandals back on. And then it says, cast on your garment about you. Put on your outer garment, which was probably at that time being used for a blanket, which is what they would do. They'd take their outer garment and use it for a blanket at night. So all of this is going on. And it's just the picture of Peter at such peace, saying, well, I'm going to die tomorrow. I get to see Jesus. He may be even thinking about Stephen when Stephen was being stoned. And he said, behold, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father waiting for me. He's thinking about Jesus saying, it is finished. He's thinking about all these individuals who see God and saying, I'm going to see him again. I think he might have even been looking forward to it. Life is over, I get to go home. This is the beauty for us as Christians. If we truly believe that when life is over, we go home, that changes the way we look at a death sentence. Because it's, we get to go home. This is what I've shared before. I love the idea of calling memorial services, especially for Christians, homegoing services. Remind people, this person went home. Yes, we're going to hopefully miss them. You know, we're going to miss having their presence. But why would we want them back here with us? They went home. They're, they went where we're hopefully wanting to go. I am looking forward to the day that I die and I get to go to heaven. Now, I'm not going to do anything to make it happen sooner than, than God's wanting it to happen. But I'm just like Paul. He says, I'm torn between the two. My desire to be home and my desire to teach and make and help people grow. While we're on this earth, our desire should be to help people come to Christ, help them grow in Christ. Outside of that, I'm looking forward to going to heaven as fast as possible. <laughs> you know, because everything is done. As long as he's got something for me to do, I want to stay here. Peter was all set. He was ready to go home. And the angel wakes him up and says, get your garment around you and follow me. And he says he got up, he went out and followed him. And I love this. And he did not know that it was true what was being done by the angel, but thought that he was in a vision. He just thought he was dreaming. You know, first off, he'd been wake, awoke up. Right? He went to sleep in a dark cell strapped to two officers. <laughs> he wakes up to a bright light, <laughs> chains falling off of him, which is enough to, you know, we kind of think, you know, well, why would he think it was dream? Well, he woke up to light, which is no light in the cell. The chains just fall off of him, and he's told, follow me. We would be thinking that we're dreaming too. Yeah, you know, we would be in the same place. I'm dreaming. I don't, you know, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me by all this? But, you know, uh, but, he's thinking, but he's just thinking, I'm having a vision. He's, he's, he's in that groggy state. I just woke up from a deep sleep, and it sure seems strange. The, the chains are falling off of me. There's a bright light in this dark dungeon, and he's being told to follow him. And then it says in verse 10, and they went past the first and second ward. Wards are guards. So he's, he's passing through two sets of guards. So he's been unstrapped from the two that are guarding him. He walks past the first ones that are at the, the main door. He walks past the second set that are on the second set of four that are guarding the hallways. And they come to the iron gate to the outside. And this would be really bizarre to Peter 
it wouldn't be so much bizarre to us because we're used to doors just opening and closing without anybody doing it. But as they come to the gate, the gate just opens up. Adding to the fact, I'm dreaming. <laughs> Doors just don't open on their own accord in, 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 Peter's, in Peter's realm. Uh, and it says that they went out, and the gate leading to open on their own accord, and they went out, passed through them, through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So the angel escorts him far enough down the street to say, you are safe. The beauty of this when we look at it is this is exactly what God does for us even today. When we are facing something that we see no way out of, he can walk us out of the midst of a trial that we see no, no way out of. He can deliver. The church is praying for him. And God delivers him. Now, I'm sure the church also prayed for James. And James wasn't delivered. And you go, why? Because God wanted it that way? <laughs> I don't know why God wanted it that way, but James died as a martyr. Peter gets to live for a little longer yet. Now, Peter eventually is going to die as a martyr in Rome. It, it said that he was crucified. And... History says that he asked to be crucified upside down. That's just weird. Huh? I don't believe they did. I don't believe they did because the body would not have supported the weight being crucified upside down. But he asked to be, because he goes, I don't deserve to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. But the way the body, the, everything about crucifixion was for extreme punishment and and pain, and to have been hung upside down would. Not, the body, he'd have fallen right off the cross. And his wrists, his hands, his feet would have just ripped. Ripped if they tried. All right, now they could have tied him in and everything, and it is possible that it happened, but if they did, he would have been tied to the cross, not nailed to the cross. Since when do they do the prisoners? Huh? Since when do they do the prisoners once, right? Of course, we, we hear that all the time. Yeah. The prisoners are not in charge of the prisoner in, yeah. in the prison. They want lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, the, our current warden is very much, you know, no, they're not in charge. They do what we tell them to do. Uh, and so I, in both those cases, I, don't, I think he wanted it, but I don't think he got it. Uh, because it would be, you know, there just would not have happened. It just could not have, the punishment wouldn't have been the same. And crucifixion was designed to cause great pain. And remember, one of the things that Pilate was amazed at, that Jesus was dead in less than six hours. All right. Uh, because crucifixions, usually, you died over a period of a week on the, on the cross. So you were there as a torture. They, they went, they, you were there to suffer. And it took you about a week to die of suffocation, which is how you died on the cross. You, you were, most people were not, number one, nailed to the cross. Only the most extreme uh, criminals were nailed to the cross. And they tended to die a little faster, but they still take days, two or three days to die. And they didn't necessarily die of suffocation like most of them. They would die of loss of blood because of the nails. But most people were tied to the cross. And in the position they were in, you couldn't breathe. You had to push yourself up against the cross. And when we talk about the old rugged cross, every time they pushed up, they got splinters driven into their back. And then they'd get pushed up, and they would have to let go, <laughs> which means they got splinters every time they fell down. And eventually, you got so tired that you couldn't push yourself up. You could not bring oxygen into your lungs, and you died of suffocation. It was a cruel, horrendous death that they had for people. And you know, we think of, you know, we, we're so detached from crucifixion that we really don't understand the cruelty of crucifixion. We don't understand the cruelty of the scourging that, that was taken by them. You know, um, when Jesus was even put on the cross after the, after the, the scourging and the, and the beating that he took and the taunting that he took, uh, he was not recognizable as a man. 
you know, and all of our paintings are very nice to us. They put a loincloth on him, on the paintings. He would, have, would not have had that much on the cross. People were put on the cross naked to even add, add to their humiliation. They cannot do anything to cover their nakedness, and they were put up there naked and the beating that he had taken. And poor Mary, looking at her son on that cross, totally beaten, totally, totally abused, is, is a big deal. And this is why you know, Peter would have been put on his cross to be tortured, most likely tied, most likely put up there to, to, to be punished for a long time. So I really don't believe he got what he asked for. But tradition says he asked for it. So, uh, but here we are. They walk out of the city. <laughs> they walk out of the prison, rather. And the angel all of a sudden disappears. <laughs> uh, after they've walked out far enough that the soldiers aren't just going to come right charging right after him. And this is what God does. When he delivers us, he puts us in a place where we're not going to be immediately taken back again. And this is an important thing. God can deliver us, but he doesn't have to. Because he says, precious in, the sight, in his sight is the death of his saints. Because we get to come home. For God's sake, he says, I'd like to have you come home. You're my children, come on home. I'm ready for you. Other times he says, well, I've got other plans for you. You're going to still minister for me. Peter has other plans. James gets to go home. Peter gets to have other plans. <laughs> Verse 11, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know for a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door, gave the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran and told the, how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto, her, you are, said unto her, you are mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared that unto them that how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. All right. This, this is a, almost a comedy when I look at this. Uh, first off, it says in verse 11, When Peter came to himself, realizing he had not been dreaming... He's finally awake. <laughs> he's not sure really what's going on, but now all of a sudden he's going, uh, he came to his right mind. All right? He realizes I'm not, I'm not dreaming. I'm outside of the prison. All of this stuff that has been going on is real. And it says he considered, he thought, what should I do? <laughs> and, you know, and he said for surety that he said the Lord had sent an angel and had delivered him. And it said in verse 12, and he considered, he pondered, what do I do now? I'm outside of the prison. What do I do? You can picture all this. This would be very funny. He's in a dreamlike state. He doesn't, really, he doesn't really think he's doing it. All of a sudden, he becomes fully awake, realizes he's not in prison, not chained to the guard. No guards are chasing him. And it's like, okay, now what do I do now? Because the angel did not give him any other instructions. He said, follow me, and it's disappeared. So all of a sudden, now that he's come to himself, he's fully awake, he goes, he decides to go to probably what appears to be the nearest place where the church is going to meet. He goes to a house with a woman named Mary. And it's kind of interesting that they identify Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, who is, this is John Mark. All right? Now, if you don't recognize that name, John Mark is the writer of the book of Mark. He writes the first gospel. Apparently, he was hanging out with Jesus, even though he was not called a disciple. He is going to be going with uh, Barnabas and Paul, or, or Saul at this time, on their first missionary journey. 
He's also the one that abandons them in the middle of the journey because times get too tough. And he says, I didn't, I didn't sign up for all this tough times. And he abandons them. In the second journey, Paul, who's now Paul, and Barnabas have a great big debate. Because Barnabas, who is, in, who is an encourager and he encourages people, says, well, Paul, we really need to give Barna, uh, um, John Mark a second chance. And Paul says, absolutely no way. You know, Paul was pretty hard case. He goes, he abandoned us one time. I am not taking him. There's no way we're taking him till he can abandon us again. Paul was Saul, right? Paul and Saul, and yeah. He's the one that lost his sight, right? Yes, but he got his sight back. I, okay, I'm just saying, wow. Yeah. You know. okay. So, but he is that type of person. He, it, in his early days, he's fairly unforgiving of people. Uh, right now, he's still Saul. Uh, and that split the missionary team up, and now he ended up, it was good in one sense, because God got the glory, because now he sent out two teams. Barnabas and Mark, go, uh, John Mark go out, and Paul and Silas go out. So now we have two teams going out as missionaries. So it, God got the glory, even though Paul was going to be unforgiving. Later on in the epistles, Paul said, I've learned now to be forgiving. I've forgiven, I've forgiven John Mark, and he, uh, and he is really a blessing to me. And he's back helping Paul. This is one of those things that God is going to use us no matter what. Even when we're being dumb, like Paul is going to be later on and saying, uh-uh, no way, no how am I going to forgive him and take him, give him a second chance. God used it for his glory and still brought Paul around to be forgiving of him later on. And it also shows us if somebody like Paul needs to learn to grow, it's not that big a deal when we're learning to grow. And this is the beauty that we need to understand as Christians. We have to be patient with those that are learning that are growing. It is so easy for us to say, well, why aren't you as far along as I am? Well, because I only started two years ago and you started 25 years ago, 60 years ago. You know, we can't judge others by where God has brought us. It is so easy for us to do. But you know, if we truly look at our life, we realize they might be further along than we ever were at that age. You know, they've been following God for five years and they're really far along, you know, and it took us 60 years to get there We're, and they're catching up. But we look at them and going, what's, what's wrong with them? They're not there. And Paul has an even bigger problem because he was a Pharisee. He knows God's word really well and he follows God's words fairly accurate even before he's saved. And he is always thinking, well, I can do it. Why can't they? That is one of the problems with people who get into following God because of their self-discipline. Because they go, well, I can do it. They should be able to do it. I can, I've gotten this faith. They should be able to do it. And we need to be very careful of that attitude coming in and creeping into our life. God has brought each person where they are. And I said it even this morning. I love being around new Christians. They don't know a whole lot of stuff. They make all kinds of mistakes. But you know what? They are excited about God. <laughs> and it is fun to be around them and, and help teach them and help, help motivate and direct them is wonderful. But we need young Christians around us to motivate us because we get kind of stuck in our ways. They need us to try to help them get stability. We all need each other in the body of Christ. And it's important for us to understand this. But let's go back to the, the study here. He gets to the door where they're praying. He knocks on the door at the gate. And it's kind of interesting that they name this, this girl because normally we don't get the name of it. But um, the damsel came to hearken, and her name is Rhoda. Now, Rhoda is kind of a pretty name, and it means Rose. And her job is to be the gatekeeper. That's what exactly what it says when it says, says hearken. It's to listen as the gatekeeper. And it's kind of, she doesn't do her job. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of a hilarious thing. They've been praying for Peter to be rescued and, and to not be killed. She goes to the gate and hears Peter's voice. 
gets so excited that Peter's at the door that she forgets to open the door. <laughs> so Peter's outside. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and instead of opening the door, she runs back to the meeting area. <laughs> Poor Peter's left outside, you know. Uh, he's a wanted man. <laughs> Escaped from prison. <laughs> knocking on a door. <laughs> You know, probably pounding on the door. You, would you please let me in? Uh, I would like to be inside rather than outside. <laughs> you know, uh, pr- soldiers may be in the street any moment. Please let me in. <laughs> and Rhoda runs the opposite direction. <laughs> now, I'm not blaming her. She, she's excited. The prayer has been answered. <laughs> we have been praying all night for him to be released, and he's at the door. Would have been nice if she had actually opened the door for him, but... But, but this, you know, this is why I think this one's so funny. You know, it's, you know, he all of a sudden gets up thinking he's dreaming, and he gets out and he's okay, and then she forgets to answer the door, which is her job. And she runs over there, and she goes and tells everybody that Peter's at the gate. Now, this is something that you want to notice. They're praying for Peter to be delivered. And their first answer is, you're mad. You're insane. She's all excited. Peter, Peter is in prison ready to get, be killed tomorrow morning. He's being guard by, guarded by 16 men, and you're trying to tell us he's at the gate. And Peter's probably still knocking. And he's still knocking. We're going to see he's still knocking. All right? And she insists, it's Peter. I know Peter's voice. He's out there. He's, he's knocking at the door, and he called out to me. And then they said this very interesting statement that we're going to look at a little bit. It is his angel. Now, in, in the Jewish tradition, they believe that every person has a guardian angel. And that those guardian angels during really bad times might come to give forewarning to people of their impending death. So what? Because they're expecting him to die even in spite of their prayers. They're going, oh, it's his angel coming to see us. And they did have this idea that the angel, to help the veracity of their statement, might appear as the person that they were uh, being, being the protector of. So they're going, oh, you just heard, you heard his angel. It's his angel out there. All right? I still don't know why they're not opening the door. <laughs> you know, if it's an angel, go get the message from the angel at least. You know. Uh, but this is, this, this is why it is very interesting to look at this story because it is one of those stories that the people aren't believing that God is going to answer their prayers. Now, we cannot be critical of them because how many times do we pray not really expecting God to answer our prayer, especially if it's a big prayer? If one thing, God, you know, I, we need your direction or can you provide, you know, what, what happens when, God, when, when God's telling us, I want you to do this really big mission and it's going to cost you a lot of money. And okay, God, uh, we, need, we need money. And it's like, not just a few hundred dollars, not a couple thousand dollars. God, we need hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. How often do we make those kind of prayers and not really expecting an answer? This is very important for us. These people are praying not expecting an answer. Or definitely not the answer that they're getting, having Peter at their gate. And we laugh about it, and we think it's funny, you know, because we're seeing it from, from 2,000 years away. We would have been just like them. God, we want you to deliver Peter. Please deliver Peter. Help us deliver Peter. Peter's at the door. Oh, no, God, please deliver Peter. You, know, you want to see Peter get, you know, get rescued? Peter's at the door. No, God, please get... You know, we laugh about it, but it probably would have been us doing the same thing that they're doing. Peter thought he's dreaming, now they think they're dreaming. <laughs> he's like, uh, and he's there insistently knocking at the door. She's going, it really was Peter. I, I, I heard his voice. Uh, and, and then it says, but Peter continued knocking. <laughs> All right. So 
I know you're in there. Rhoda answered my call. Uh, I know you guys are in there. Please answer this door. <laughs> and he kept pounding on the door, and eventually they decided to go answer the door. <laughs> and they saw him, and they were amazed. Our prayers had been answered. Now, I don't want to be too critical of them either, because these are Jewish believers. Most of the Jews do not believe that God is personal enough to care about their prayers. They, when they prayed, had to go to the temple to offer a sacrifice so that the priest could bring their petition before God with the sacrifice. We are not far from that point of view, and these are Jewish believers who are still getting used to the idea that God is personal. We, as, as Christians in our day and age, have a totally different viewpoint of God than they do. But, to be fair, there are many religions that still don't have a personal God that cares for you. Most religions have a God that, unless you do enough good stuff, isn't going to do anything for you. And the only reason they're going to do something for you is because you earned it. We have a God that's done everything for us, and he cares enough and says, ask me. Now, we know in the Old Testament that God is a God that cares for his people, but that isn't the actual day-to-day -day view of the Jewish believer. It's all ceremony. These guys are not far from that time of ceremony. They're not really fully cognizant of a God who just wants to love them. They're beginning to be cognizant of that, but they're not fully there yet. So I don't, want to, I don't want us to judge them too, too harshly about this amazement, amazing answer of prayer. They're not used to it. Even though the stories are all through the Old Testament of God answering prayers for usually the nation more than individuals. They're not used to a God who cares for them as individuals. Huh? Well, this is big results. He got arrested. We've been praying for him. And here he is. God also doesn't usually answer prayers quite that fast in many cases. All right. And Peter held up his hand to keep them quiet and declared to them what the Lord had done. So basically saying, be silent. You know, he is still thinking soldiers can come around any moment. So he's wanting to get inside that gate to tell them what's going on. And it's kind of interesting. He held up his hand and he declared to them how God had delivered him. And then he said, go show these things unto James and the brethren. Now, if you didn't know there were multiple Jameses, this is going to sound insane because the book start, the chapter started with James being killed. <laughs> this is why I introduced the fact that there are at least three Jameses that we know of in the, in the New Testament. So basically, he's saying, go tell James the lesser and the rest of the disciples what God has done. Beautiful statement. He's saying, go give my testimony and then it says, and then he departed and went to another place. We have no idea where he went. He got out of Dodge as quick as he could. He says, I'm not going to be arrested again by Herod, which means he also must have left Judea to go somewhere else. I kind of believe he went to Antioch because he was already known in Antioch, and that's where Saul and all of them were at. From Antioch, we know that he goes into um, Europe and preaches. In, many say that he went as far as England, and we know that he ends up in Rome where he's going to be killed. So he goes, he's been chased out of Jerusalem, and he goes all over the world, the known world at that time. We do know from history that he went throughout Europe, and there is some evidence that he made it all the way to England. But we really do not know that much about where Peter went other than hist their history. So that's why I know he ended up in, in Europe. And there's question. They believe, some say absolutely he made it to England. Some say, well, there's no real evidence that, uh, that the apostle Peter made it that far. Uh, but he did end up in Rome, and that's where he dies. So we know enough about him. But he leaves Jerusalem and apparently never comes back to Jerusalem. The scriptures don't give us any reference, and history does not give us any uh, reference that he came back to Jerusalem. So he's a wanted man and he runs. <laughs> so he's a fugitive in Rome. He stays in Rome. He stays in the Roman Empire, but he leaves the area that he's well known as and is a fugitive from that point in time. 
but he's very active. He's not, he's not hiding. He, he, he's a fugitive from King Agrippa, but he is a uh, King Herod, excuse me, but he is not hiding. He's preaching everywhere he goes. He's sharing the gospel. He had a new lease on life. I hate leaving here, but it's time to end. <laughs> All right. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for just the humor that you put in the word of God when we look at it and that you are a God of humor, that you appreciate jokes and, and showing off and, and being able to show people. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done and ask you to bless us as we go forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.